Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. And we're welcoming you to the 3WEDU In Vino Fabulum podcast. That's In Wine Story. We're delighted to welcome and share our first guest who we interviewed, Dr. Ali Black, but we had a brilliant conversation. The goal of this first audio-only podcast is to invite visitors to the pod who can share more about their stories, their work, what they're interested in, and what they're doing today. So I was really delighted to invite her to interview with us, and Patrice unfortunately couldn't make it to the actual interview, but you did get to listen in and whatnot. Sure. So I really enjoyed how Ali described the process of making sense of our lived experiences as a soulful experience that really spoke to me and I really connected to the work that she was doing and how that's what's brought joy to her academic life. And another thing she talked quite a bit about was the value of the ethic of care, which is a topic that we discussed in a past hashtag 3WEDU podcast. So I really enjoyed her talking about that. And I look forward to her upcoming books that are coming out soon. Cool. So take a listen. We also share some interesting ideas, concepts about the women who write and things she's connected to, like a manifesto that involves care. So we'll include that in the notes and we hope you enjoy this first episode. Hi and welcome. Today we're joined with Ali Black, who's a narrative researcher and early childhood educator from the Sunshine Coast. But really, she is into anything artsy-based and all narrative work, looking around academic identities as a woman in academia herself. Today we're going to talk with Dr. Ali Black, who's at Dr. Ali Black on Twitter, and also her website, dralieblack.com. She also hosts and works with the community, The Woman Who Write. That's The Woman, The Woman Who Write. And she's going to chat a little bit about her story and um, what she's working on. So, Ali, welcome. Thanks so much, Laura. It's lovely to be talking with you. So beyond the introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, where you work and what you're working on these days. Well, I, um, I'm 50, so I'm going to put that out there. I just turned 50, Brave. and so that, that's been um, a really interesting thing, how I've approached that gently. Um, but with turning 50, I guess uh, it's brought with it new insights for how I want to be in academia and um, my hopes and dreams for academia, but also for my own life and um, work. So, yes, I work at um, the University of the Sunshine Coast, which is a, a lovely new campus and uh, I work with some really beautiful colleagues in the School of Education. So my discipline area is education and my um, particular discipline field is early childhood education. So I've been uh, in early childhood education since oh, a long time ago, uh, since about 1988 and I started off in a classroom as a director of a childcare centre and working with little e's and then worked in primary schools in lower lower primary and preschool for a little while and then found my way into higher education. So um, I guess in terms of most recent writing um, and what I'm really passionate about is stories of women in academia and uh, what are women's lived experiences and how are they... Uh, Powering, I guess, and making sense of the challenges of being a woman in academia. And um, where we are in Australia, there's a lot of neoliberal challenges facing us. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of accountability. There's lots of workload formulas. You have to prove so much about yourself. And it's quite um, demeaning, demoralising, um, discouraging deadening, narrowing, all those kinds of, of yucky kind of words. And so with, um, with that pressure, I guess I have had a desire for something else. And uh, it's funny when you discover a phrase that just encompasses what you're trying to do, uh, but you haven't encountered that phrase before. And that phrase for me is slow scholarship. And Alison Mounts and a whole lot of her colleagues, I think they're geographers, they've got this fabulous article around uh, slow scholarship. And I guess that is exactly where I'm at, is how can we find places, hold spaces for slow scholarship? Uh, so that means operating with an ethic of care, uh, 
not going with the silos and the competition but actually reaching out to each other and working together, collaborating, being kind, kindness in the academy. Uh, so, yes, I've been – we've got two wonderful books about to come out with Routledge. Um, one is called Women Activating Agency in Academia, Metaphors, um, Manifestos and Memoir. And we've also got one called – a similar title, Lived Experiences of Women in Academia, Metaphors, Manifestos and Memoir. And what we've invited there is a whole lot of women to share their real stories of what is it like for you uh, to be a woman in academia. And we've really focused on story and um, valuing our stories. So autoethnography, memoir, creative writing, a whole lot of ways that we can share our stories and for them to be valid and for them to be sites for research and questioning uh, about the academic world and academic life so yeah that's where they're the spaces I'm playing in Laura I knew we invited you for a reason this is perfect <laughs> um it's funny you mentioned the art of the slow writing I'm gonna have to grab that article I read a book recently I don't know if you read any of Louise DeSalvo's work yeah yeah I love her work so I just read the, the art of slow writing so and I took so much inspiration even though much of that book was for fiction I was like oh this is so applicable for what we do in higher ed have you read that book I don't think I've read that one Which one I have, have read? read oh look it's on my shelf somewhere I mean you can <laughs> see my shelf behind me <laughs> It's a great bookshelf for our uh, listeners. I'm going to go over there. I'm jealous. Uh, that's my reason to visit, visit the Sunshine Coast, besides the name of the Sunshine Coast. Uh, I think it might have been about writing. I think it might have been about supporting writing. Oh, that's um, good. It, yeah, it's, a, it's about a year ago since I engaged with it, and I've, I'm a bit of an avid reader, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll search and find so I can Please tell do. you which Please one do. it is. But I really love her idea about actually being real and writing ourselves to right. writing our own stories, yeah. Yeah, her left, her memorable moment I left and I, I recently blogged about was I just that it takes time, it's persistence, there's some grit, it's not going to be a quick turnover and it's a process. So that's the constant reminder. So thank you for bringing that other article up. I'm going to look that in. Yeah, yeah. So the transition from early college education to higher ed, you know, there's lots of transferable skills and principles I am aware of. My background is K-12 teaching before I entered in higher ed. And uh, it sounds like your transition um, to higher ed has left you thinking about your own identity and those around you a bit. And um, tell us a little bit about the insights that you're thinking about now. And I don't mind, the, the age is nothing, wisdom comes anytime in life. So mm. tell me about what you're <laughs> thinking these days. Yeah, well, I guess I'm really thinking about um, how we need to connect with our vulnerability. And so, you know, Brene Brown has, has written a lot about vulnerability and shame and, um, so if I can share how some of this has come to light for me and it's still resonating. So I lost my mum in 2006 and I've grieved for her a lot because, she, she, you know, we were close and so I've really missed her and I do feel her really close to me. Um, she, I think she is the one responsible, but I see her number, I see her initials on number plates whenever I'm driving anywhere. So her name was Jenny Wright. And so I see JW number plates everywhere. And so I was driving along this day and uh, I wasn't in a pity party, but I was kind of going, oh, I wish you were here, mum. I'd love to have a chat with you and ask you about some of this stuff, what it's like to be, you know, a woman and juggling these things and life and work and whatever and I got like an almost an immediate epiphany that um I had I was surrounded by amazing women and why not check in with them and you know we have friends and we kind of think our lives are you know a bit boring and will we bother annoying someone with our stories or our questions or our whatever and I thought oh look I'll just sit on it for a little while as an idea and and then I went no I will I will ask I'll think carefully who will I ask and so I asked about 10 friends um, across different you know fit friendships of, of my life and different phases of my life would they uh, write 
with me? Would they write a story? And it could be about anything. I, like I said, it could be sad, happy, it could be funny, it could be about a moment, it could be about their life right now, it could be about wisdom that they've gained or wisdom that they don't have or whatever. And like it was really open. And, um, you know, some people were tentative or, you know, have I got anything to say? Is my life worthy? You know, all those kind of imposter things that we think that we're, we're not enough. But um, in the end, I had about seven women who went, yep, okay, let's do this. And so that's where it began. It was very personal. It wasn't professional. It wasn't academic at all. But I guess because I've been, as I said before, you know, been in education for too too long, long time. And so my friends, I guess, just happened to be mostly educators or or academics. And so... um, yeah, not surprisingly, um, the, the people who I asked tended to come from that that um, background. And so we we just did it very slowly. We used Zoom and we hooked up after we'd all written about a thousand words and shared drafts just in, in tiny groups of three, I think it was. And it was so moving, like we all had a bit of a cry and uh, connected. And these women didn't know each other. I was the common denominator. Uh, but they trusted me to introduce them to other women who could be trusted kind of thing. And then we kept writing for another six months and the people in the group of three tended to email each other then and they built up their own relation. And then we merged together and shared our latest drafts. And we just kept giving really gentle feedback. We had a really kind of gentle form, like what do you think your chapter's about? And and then the the responder would say, um, this is what stuck out to me and this is what I'd like to you know, you to tease out because I found this really intriguing and these are some questions I wondered about. And and so that gave, was a catalyst for food for thought. And so we, you know, it took, it was like, I don't know, a year and a half of just gentle writing. And through that time, we revealed such deep things. So I guess I was grappling with um, having lost both my parents and a bit of depression in there and you know, who who are you when you are finally the matriarch of the family and, and, you know, you're responsible for the stories of your ancestry and all that kind of thing. So I guess I was sort of in that space. But they were so brave. You know, they wrote about really deep things. Everybody's stories were universal and it became this kind of really, um, I mean, I don't, it's not a recipe, but we were empowered by it. We we found something in ourselves and each other and we, we called ourselves the wise women <laughs> eventually. It was kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek. And then what happened was we, we got a bit um, activist. So in our academic spaces, in our educa- educational spaces, which were constricting and didn't give any room for our personal stories and who we are, we kind of went, hang on, this has got to change. And so we started writing ourselves into our academic work. And if people want to go to the website, thewomenwhowrite.com, we've we've sort of morphed in. We didn't think we could probably go public saying we were the wise women. <laughs> so we've got I'm ourselves. disappointed that you didn't go that way, but that's fine. All right. Yeah, so we've called ourselves the women who write. And so you can see some of our publications there. And there's a group of probably uh, a core group of about 12 and that shifts and changes and different people come in when they can and, and we write together collectively and we've got to, um, you know, we, we were all probably working a bit on our own in academia and we've just come together and we've been this force, I feel, and so our publications are coming out the roof and and we've been invited to be presenters and keynotes and, and you know, topic of podcasts and things and and it's like there's this energy there's this recognition among women academics hey we need to um get in touch with who we are we need to proclaim that we need to hold spaces for one another uh you know we need to it's a bit of it's kind of sounds a bit out there but i think it's kind of soul work as much as um I don't know, reflection, you know, that's the nice educational kind of gentle phrase, let's engage in reflection. But I think we're, we're doing something deeper and, and more powerful than that. And, uh, yeah, it's really important. It's so meaningful. I'm just loving it. It's made my work in academia joyful. 
That's amazing. And I think it is so powerful. It's more than just writing and reflecting. I think it's mm-hmm. almost a form of group therapy. It's almost a form of check-in and reality. It's It seems so impressive that it's helped all of you probably personally and now professionally. And that wasn't the intention when you started. It was just no. to story, storytell and tell your narrative. And that's amazing. Yep. And it wasn't even really going to go anywhere. We kind of said, you know, we might publish this. We might not. Let, we'll just see. It was very um, organic mm-hmm. how it unfolded. And we had no idea w- that this would be, you know, an, an outcome. Whilst I hate that word, you know, we didn't think that it would take us into this space. And um, it's lovely. It's really lovely. At what point did your kind of exploration as a group or individually, did you decide maybe we should do something with this and where should we put it and how should we share it? I think it started off with a conference, actually. There was a local conference at Noosa. It was something like um, narrative and healing. Okay. And so what we did was we actually came up with a bit of a script where we performed uh, parts of our stories and we jumbled them a bit a bit together and we had, uh, I think there were about um, – five of us, I think, who made it to that conference. And again, that was the first time we'd all met face-to-face. We'd been engaging in this deep writing for over a year and hadn't known each other to hug or to have a meal with or glass of wine with. Um, And we did have several glasses of wine at that occasion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, so it was that. And I guess we got such a tremendous response from that. We, We went in a bit vulnerable because you know, is this research? Does this count? Will people think this is valid uh, kind of stuff? And um, look, the women in the room, thankfully, the next session after us was cancelled. And so, there was no one in the room after us. So, the whole group, the audience stayed on and we used up the whole next session with questions and people eager to find out how had this happened and what, you know, how could... They take bits and pieces from it. Yeah, it was it was fabulous, and so that was kind of a real affirmation. There's there's people. This is a heart crying out. You know, this is what what we're hungering for is connection in academia and and community and and, and collective writing where we're actually helping each other meet all those terrible performance. Um, indicators, but we're meeting them gently. We're meeting them together in ways that are meaningful for us. So that's where it began, I think. That sounds like it's really added to your work and what you enjoy about doing in your work. Um, can you tell a little about how you approached the narrative, uh, the narrative method in your research, and why you went, why it took this shape and form? I guess. I guess we're experimenting with a range of different things. So my um, I love the arts and I've been dabbling in the arts just in my in my life. So I'm into the visual. So I've been creating digital art alongside creating digital artifacts to accompany our storying as well. But we've got a couple of um, film and performance artists and we're about to kind of launch into to um, a performancey type thing around academic identities in the next couple of weeks but for some of these we just decided to script uh and I guess it depends on the like we have been influenced by the conferences that we've decided to go to or by the scope of the journal or or what have you um but we I guess we are firmly placed in that narrative methods arts based space um and we're, I guess we're stretching the boundaries. So we're just, I guess what we're tending, we're using a range of different approaches. So some of it is is playing with a scripted kind of idea where we uh, write, do a bit of intro, introducing what this is about and then we kind of script in our stories. Sometimes we'll just throw in some vignettes. So we've got a, a chapter in um, Stu Riddle's book, and I can't remember all the other authors, but it's called Reducing the Drag. And so we've put in some little vignettes and we've played around with pleasure and pain. So we've got some pleasure vignettes and some pain vignettes and uh, some digital artifacts to to story that. Um, yeah, so I guess we're, you know, we're in an autoethnographic kind of space where we are making sense of our lived lives. 
and not not saying that our lived lives are the same as everybody's, but they offer a lens for us and a connection space. So perhaps everything that we're writing is almost an invitation. Join us in this conversation, extend this conversation with us, help help us understand. And, you know, there's some lovely groups out there. I discovered a group called the um, Res Sisters. So it's R-E-S hyphen sisters and they're, they're writing together and doing this activist kind of writing work as well and getting a collective name. And I guess we're also playing with that. How do we, at the moment, we... Uh, still naming ourselves and we shift that order around depending on who's who's leading or who's put in you know the hard work at the front end or at the back end or or wherever um but yeah we've, we've wondered about having a collective name too so yeah is that kind of what you're after yeah no that's fascinating to me and i i think i asked that because the original are, are women who wine group the three wdu Reverse got together based on meeting at these conferences and decided, well, let's think about the work we want to do. And I think this version of our podcast was to figure out where other voices could be heard and where you could share. And mm-hmm. so that's that's exactly what we want to hear. And I think the idea of digital storytelling sounds like from your arts and other artifacts and stories are fascinating. And I think have a way to transcend, yeah, the ocean or the distance mm. or maybe even um, a narrative that we think we own because our identities are so multifaceted that I think you probably are all drawing on experiences. Even though, even though it's not specific to someone, it's more universal than we think. And yeah, I'm fascinated to hear about this pain mm. versus mm. pleasure. And I think we probably <laughs> all have similar pain points and pleasure points in what we do in work. And yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're a really diverse group too. So I've tended to be a narrative researcher who resists adding a theoretical lens. Like for me, the story is the theory and I just don't want to apply another lens over the top of someone's story. Even if it's my story, I don't want to kind of then go in and analyse it or pull it to pieces. But, you know, we've got I've got, you know, wonderful women colleagues who are, you know, using feminist theory and new materialism and Deleuze and, um, you know, different lenses that are that they're scattering in amongst the stories mm. which add, you know, I guess other richer pieces. Um, so my colleague Linda Henderson and I, we've, we've had a paper um, published in Qualitative Inquiry which was, you know, it's a bit tough to get into that one and, and we've written about um, the subject of mourning uh, as in weeping morning, not um, morning start of the new day. Um, and, you know, we've, we've poured some really deep things in there, but we've, we've put it around this notion of philia and friendship and researchers' friendship. And uh, she's got a lovely critical theory lens that she can apply, whereas I, I resist that. And so it's lovely that we come with our different passions and different ways of working. And so what we bring together... Um, we could have never done on our own and and so we work in Dropbox too and we've almost we've built such a trusting relationship that we have one document and people just write into it and so someone usually starts off and we appreciate them so much because the abstract or the shape of the paper and it's much easier than to just write in and so all these wonderful threads emerge and at the end you don't know who's written what because it's just this whole wonderful thing that's evolved and we have Zoom meetings every so often to keep us on track and what are we all thinking and we end up laughing and crying and um, there's energy, you know, it's it's so fabulous. So, I'm, you know, I'm with you. I really think that these online connection-making places, they can generate such incredible things and bring us together in such incredible ways and we don't have to be silos so most only one one of these women is at my university and she's in another department and another faculty so we actually never really can catch up at work because our schedules are so different so we we connect up on the zoom as well um and so we're across australia and um connecting up via via zoom and and you know there's lots of technologies out there but that's one that we all seem to be able to work and we can record and everything as well so yeah it's, it's so um inspiring for us it's it's rejuvenated our academic lives but I guess the other thing too is a couple of us have left academia as a result because it's kind of wa- woken us up 
to um, whether we whether it is sustainable for us. So reaching into our stories has had um, it's been a catalyst for change, I guess. So we've decided, can I stay in this particular institution? What is it costing me? Where can I go? And yeah, so some some of for some of us, the outcome has been to actually leave academia. And that's not a sad thing. I mean, I guess it's sad for those of us who are still here that we've lost that rich, wise uh, woman um, and women. But it's been an awakening for them to actually follow what really matters to them outside of the academic world, yeah. Your group is, sounds very organic and natural forming. It's not pressured. There was never a pressure. And so it sounds like some of the foundations where you've built up how you communicate and share and there's some trust. Are there some challenges that you've had to overcome to kind of, I guess, sustain what you're doing and the work that you're doing or... Has there been anything that's come up that's been challenging within the writing process even? I guess for a while there it felt like we were so prolific and so we had a couple of different writing things and project things on the go at the same time. And, you know, you're juggling that amongst teaching life, caring for family and caring for health and and self-care is something a a theme that's that's arisen too that even though this is exciting energizing work we have to actually go back to that slow scholarship and engage in self-care so it's not just caring for others but but self-care so I guess that's been a a wake-up um is to not burn out even you can still burn out even in being exciting so you know we talk about we write about slow scholarship and we've had a few email exchanges like hang on you know we seem to be this is prolific stuff and we're 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 churning it out but maybe we need to take a breather and so we had a point where we just had to take a couple of months and calm down and go it's all right um and the invitations and interest is still there and um i think it's letting go of the fear too uh, mm-hmm. that um, you know that academic machine is a is a really strong pervasive one and and some of the insights that we've had about slowing down have have helped us and sustain us for a few months and then we've still managed to get caught up in the stress in the workload formula and and the meet jumping meet this hoop and and that one and and so we haven't been immune I think we might have thought we were invincible there for a moment and gone we've found the answer hallelujah (laughs) and actually gone oh hang on holy hell we haven't um we found some really good ideas that work but they're not always easy to apply so there's been a bit of that that you know um life life can um, still throw its curveballs and and academic work is still difficult and still challenging and can still be stressful and still get you down and still be disheartening and all those things. So, yeah, I think it's being realistic and not um, getting – feeling that pressure, I suppose, to, to keep turning out the ac- for the academic machine and actually go back. What are we doing this for again? Let's go back to the origins of, of what matters to us and the sort of academia that we want to propagate and co-create and, and that kind of thing. Did your group set out kind of like a vision or kind of a mission that you kind of go back to? Is that what you're, you're talking about? Uh, well, if you go to our website, we've got a manifesto that we've put um, on on the front of the website. So we actually, we we uh, I don't know how many manifestos a group's allowed to have, and we started calling it feminifestos and feministos and things. So, uh, but we don't want to be anti men either. We are anti the the masculine structures and strictures that constrain us and and diminish us. But you know, there's a lot of great men out there too who are um who want to want to have an ethic of care so yeah we've got a couple of manifestos that we we come back to I suppose so we say things like um we value an ethic of care and of caring and relationships of care and trust manage um matter to us uh do you want me to read it or oh yeah no that'd be great so um we've got a couple of manifestos that are in operation and we change and and we add different phrases and whatever. But the one that's on our website goes like this. It says, we value an ethic of caring and care. 
Relationships of care and trust matter to us. We coexist amongst our collective stories and our sharing of deep, real things. We refuse to live effectively thin lives. And that comes from a quote, actually, from Stefan Collini, who talks about what is, you know, an academic life and that that seems to be the pressure that we have to live these effectively thin lives and affect, not effect, so that we, you know, we're not actually paying attention to how we feel about things and um, that emotional um, soul kind of talk that that we should be listening to. So we refuse to live effectively thin lives. We resist the corporatist rhetoric and counter, not everything that counts can be counted. We make time to acknowledge and reflect on the complexity and uncertainty and culture of academic work. We ask questions, good ones, ones that give us purpose. We respond to shared longings to be differently in academia. We care about how how ideas are generated and about creativity and rich, deep thinking. We choose deliberation over acceleration. We follow what feels good to us. We give time to conversation, to dialogue, to inquiry, to reading, to joy, to thinking, to creativity, to pleasure, to experiencing flow and timelessness. Ethics of care and self-care guide our decisions. Affiliation, connection and belonging sustain, nourish and energise us. We value meaning, connectedness, presence. We choose to work together. We're better together. We value collective, caring, creative, intellectual, emotional, relational, ethical and experimental inquiry and encounters. We remember that we are enough. That's amazing, Ali. Thank you for sharing that. For our listeners, we will share this manifesto and the website as well, so you can go back. Um, The text analysis researcher myself noticed that the word we is common, care and value. And I think that says a lot about your group and your um, closeness to what and who you are, it sounds like, for all of you. So that's amazing. I've got to share with you this thing. Um, we wrote this chapter for a group that we were invited to around um, visual inquiry and um, I think it was like a walking pedagogy type thing. And so we we gave our chapter and it is accepted. It's in, in, in press. But one of the reviewers I don't think had – I. I actually would bet money it was a man and I bet money it was a man who hasn't collaborated in this way. And it may not have been. I might be doing a disservice. But the reviewer circled every we that we'd written in the chapter and wrote who is we and, yeah, I mean, we had the word we across our writing and we had explained who we were and who we represented and things, but they just didn't like it. And they circled in biro every we that we'd written. And it was just, you know, how you just know someone doesn't get it. Um, That was, that was kind of funny. We, we laughed about it and kind of went, yeah, they just don't get it. (laughs) I think it's brilliant. I also think about the way we as researchers and scholars, write. We don't actually ever own, the things we write sometimes. So people always say the authors, the researchers, yeah. why, why can't you own this together? And I, I like it better when people say, um, I think I've read from someone's comment as an editor, are the researchers and the authors the same thing? Because they re- reference themselves differently in the paper. So way to own your work and who you are. And I think yeah. we is just fine. So yeah, that's- well, we've we've got a paper that just was just published in Discourse, Discourse mm-hmm. Studies in Cultural Politics of Education, and we actually trouble this notion of of not um, in a, in the academic world not being able to use I, you know, I believe, yeah. I think, I care, yeah. whatever, and um, you know, we've been inspired by 
uh, you know, so many authors, but like Parker Palmer writes about um, I and that we're doing a great disservice to, particularly if your field is education, your profession is education, to disconnect students and pre-service teachers and people who's you know, have a profession that is about understanding themselves. If you're disconnecting them and saying that they cannot say I, we, uh, you know, to to own that knowledge, to own that experience. So, yeah, we, well, you can tell. We, we, <laughs> yeah, here we are. We, we, for me, it also we, means we, yes in French if you spell it a different way. So I'm fine with rubies. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Well, we, we just want to write the personal we want to write the real the genuine the vulnerable ourselves so we've got a few things where we're writing ourselves into our academic lives and uh you know i can send you a a list of of um our writing so that you can if if people want to they can follow up and maybe if they get a review who says why are you doing that you can blame us (laughs) (laughs) i welcome any literature and excuses for for writing yourself into the work no i think that's that's well said i appreciate that advice and that's a good way um now if i was to ask you about a story that maybe resonates with you or a story can mean anything from like a book on your shelf to an article you read to a quote to a song lyric. Is there anything that's kind of resonating that you care to share with our listeners today? Well, I um, I sign up to a lot of different blog posts and um, listen to podcasts and things, and and my my colleagues and friends send me those as well. And so um, I just. Just the other day, I read this quote from um, Clarissa Estes, and you know she wrote that book about the wolves, um, women who run with the wolves. And this quote is um, okay, yeah. So um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the notion, the metaphor is running with the wild, uh, linked to that. And so the quote is, um, what you know, or the question is, what does it mean to be in one's wild nature, to be a wild woman? And, and the quote is, to establish territory, to find one's pack, to be in one's body with certainty and pride, regardless of the body's gifts and limita- limitations, to speak and act on one's behalf, to be aware, alert, to draw on the innate feminine powers of intuition and sensing, to come into one's cycles and to find what one belongs to, to rise with dignity and to retain as much consciousness as possible. So I guess that's exactly where I'm at at the moment. Um, Like 50 feels momentous and I actually want to be in my body with certainty and pride regardless of the fact that, you know, I don't look quite like I did when I was 17 and, you know, maybe when I was 17 I didn't even appreciate my body but, gosh, when you're 50 you look back and go, God, I was amazing. (laughs) Why didn't I appreciate my 17-year-old body? Um, But, you know, that idea too of of actually speaking your truth and also to um, be an activist, so to act and speak on on others' behalves who who perhaps um, don't have voice, or to create spaces, hold spaces where people can speak their truth. So I'm really interested in um, making the academic world a kinder world, um, a more feminine world in a way where intuition and sensing and caring and uh, not to say that, you know, that they're all lovely, quiet, nice lady type things. I think we need to rise up and, but I think it starts with consciousness and, and awareness and authenticity and connection and strength through vulnerability, strength through the sharing of who we really are, what hurts us, what encourages us. You know, I think the I think women can change the world, and um, I think we can change academic spaces, and we can refuse to live uh, affectly, effectively thin lives, and and create rich spaces of meaning, and um, where things that the academy doesn't count, we count, and we kind of subvert and and disrupt and and so that they do start to count and I think that's been our experience is we're counting stuff that 
um, you know, it's being counted. Our writing, which is quite creative and quite evocative, is counting in the academic space. Not everybody, probably the scientists. My executive dean, he just shakes his head and goes, yeah, I don't, yeah I'm not sure. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's not about him. I'm not writing for him. I like that idea of the living a thicker life, not a thin life, because I think you're right. It's not about who you are to someone else, who you are to yourself, and how do you define that, and how do you go in the world that you are. And there's so many interesting lenses to take with work um, in academic work and scholarship in our research teaching and service scholarship that it doesn't have to be defined a certain way or how it has always been done. I think challenging those status quos or those structures and systems that probably don't even make sense anymore is, is a good thing. So you have my support. That's wonderful, Laura. Thank you. I was going to ask you, is there a particular wine, since we are a Women Who Wine show, or beverage that you like to enjoy and imbibe with, with colleagues, peers, familia, anyone in your life? Yeah. Okay. Well, during daylight hours, I'm a green tea girl. So um, we have a a tea shop um, called Tea 2 and they sell these little lovely green balls called Buddha's Tears and it's lovely green tea all sort of rolled up into a ball. So I'm addicted to that. Um, But I I love my Sav Blanc. So um, I am a bit naughty. My favourite Sav Blanc is always New Zealand from the Marlborough region. So I love that wine, and but I'm drinking a wine called Rata, R-A-T-A, okay. at the moment, and it's got a few lower calories and few, and it's a lower alcoholic thing. So I can, well, this is what I tell myself: I can drink more of it because <laughs> it's, it's got less alcohol in it and um, less calories and whatever. So yeah, that's my absolute favourite wine at the moment. Uh, is is this is from the Marlborough region? It's called Rata. Yeah. Excellent. I'll add both beverages to our shelf because we do tend to collect <laughs> ours and others' recommendations. So I'm going to have to check that Rata out. I appreciate that. Yeah. But is there anything else percolating in the future um, that's coming up for you or that you're excited about? Yeah, well, we're, we're playing with some ideas. So if people are interested, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we've getting really great feedback about those two books about women in academia and and a a really critical theme that came up was um, for several writers was about motherhood and even thinking about the academic as as carer. So my children are teenagers now, um, but there was a phase where where I were nursing ageing parents and sick parents and things. So, you know, I think there's fodder out there for books that – that bring this blurring of personal professional together. So that's that's one thing um, that's percolating is um, a co-edited book where we invite people to come and share their stories and probably there would be a metaphor. We would invite people to choose a metaphor that encapsulates those tensions, that experience. Uh, and then the other thing is um, when you go to our the women who write website I haven't had in my head this idea for a conference and I was thinking a physical conference and still on the website I'm talking about a physical conference and uh, I had pinned it as being something that might occur at the end of 2018 and I've just been musing with a range of colleagues about that and I guess I'm also reflecting on how I felt in December 2017 and thinking about would I have had the energy to you know up and host a conference and do all the admin and all of that and thinking, yeah, maybe not. And then also reflecting on our experience as the wise women and the women who write and thinking about, well, maybe um, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a physical conference, the conference that people travel around the world to come to and it's costly and it's expensive and it's one-off and what if you don't connect and um, you know, you've wasted all that money or, you know, then I've got to have all these research outputs and whatever. So um, having conversations, playing with the idea of is there a way that we can set up some kind of conferencing system using video conferencing where we maybe uh, have some people who would be willing to um, – you know, be in charge of a particular country or area, but people come together and, and share their stories of being uh, 
a female academic. So also, if you go to our website and go to the conference link, there is a RSVP form where people can fill out, you know, what is it that you long for? If you could go to a conference or be part of a conferencing group like like yours, what, what do you want to um, meet you there? What would you like to experience? Is it about conversations? Is it about some connecting to your creativity and and having some kind of creative output. Maybe it's a non-traditional research output or maybe it is engaging in a collective writing project or maybe it is to hear someone inspirational and you've got somebody in mind of someone you follow on a blog who has a great blog or maybe you're an early career researcher, or, you know, whatever. So it would be great. So I've had about 51 women from around the world send fill in an RSVP form and go, yeah, you know, I'd be interested and these are the sorts of things I'm hungry for uh, that I long for that I would like support with or would like to experience. And so that's really helpful. But I'd love to know, you know, what do people think? Could we forgo the idea of a physical conference? Could we do some online conferencing? If you do that in other phases of your life, what have you found really is, works? So we use Zoom at the moment, but is there another platform? Uh, yeah, so I, I would love to know that because I think women connecting with women is so powerful. And, you know, you and I, we haven't met. Um, we've found out that we have you know, know people in the same areas and things. Um, and we've spoken to, you know, we have people in common. But, you know, we don't know each other. And yet here we are, we've shared deep, real things. And, and so I think... Um, for me, I'm just thinking that online tools also can be sustainable. So we can have another conversation. We can catch up again without it being, okay, now I've got to go to Alaska for the next annual conference and then the next year I've got to find money and what do I do with my family or my pets or my, you know, how do I afford this? So it removes a whole lot of those reasons why women can't connect up with one another. So I'd love feedback. I'd love, you know, what do people long for? What are, How how might they enjoy hooking up and would they like to have a role in maybe uh, we could have little satellite communities, I'm wondering, where if people are in Texas, then those people who are in Texas can actually gather together and, and have a meal together or or we just bring our bottle of wine online and we have a drink and share our, our stories or you know, whatever, I'm open. But I'd love to facilitate something. I don't want to say, okay, I'm giving up. Uh, it's all a bit too hard and it's all going to be too much work. I would like to do something, but I actually am moving a little bit away from it being a physical conference and wondering about the affordances of, of online tools and platforms and connections. I think that's great. And I think you're thinking a bit more about it being in more than just a thing somewhere that happens once. And it's more about who can access it and removing a barrier for entry as well. So, and I think... I've been thinking about that in general, about conferences and, tra and travel. So thank you for sharing that. I don't know if I, I think I may have filled that out. I may go back and fill it out since I know you're into digital art and put in my preferences now of what we should work on. So yeah, I'll go back mm -hmm. and do that. I was going to ask, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want to share with our listeners or things we should think about in terms of resources or advice for you want to have your own group of conspirators like the women who write or the wise women? Uh, so resources that people can use? Resources or advice or final thoughts for them, I guess, in general. Yeah. Look, I think connection's really critical and I'd follow people that you like. Uh, so if you've got friends who are working working in academia but they're not at your institution, connect, just email, even just send drafts of what you're doing or conjure up a project together. And look, it's just so much friendlier when you've got colleagues working with you. And I think back to when I was a young academic and I, I, I wonder if I had kind of um, an essence of desperation, like I was constantly searching for calls for papers and calls for conference attendance and who will I network with and, and I thought I had to, as a young academic, make all these connections and as a result of these really genuine, real, authentic sharing of stories and because I'm surrounded by a stack of women now, we in our inbox just magically appear, here's a call for papers, here's a call for chapters, here's a call for conference attendances. And so it seems a whole lot 
less um, angsty and the effort and the energy to find and to be and do and everything has just been released. So I just think um, I would encourage people to connect. For me, it's been it's been so wonderful personally, but it's been really wonderful professionally. You've got people looking out for you. You've got people you can sound ideas off. You can share, you know, I had a really crappy day today and, oh, this happened and that happened. And you can have someone else who can have another perspective. So, yeah, I just think we do need to build this ethic of care. And it might not have an output. So just like how we started with no output, just our sharing of stories. So just start up with something real that's meaningful for your little group. And, yeah, it might be meeting together, to, I don't know, um, just have a coffee and and then you might choose a creative output. Oh, I like knitting and maybe we could knit something. I don't know. I'm not a knitter, but I'm just trying to brainstorm. It doesn't may not have to be writing. You know, it could be a whole lot of different things. So, yeah, my I would say – connect just just um invite and connect and reach out and respond responding is really important respond yeah absolutely i thank you so much for responding to my call for joining us today and having a chat and i'm sure we will hear from you again at some point because it sounds fascinating and i love to hear where your research thread and where your own creativity experiences are going and I think you're right whether you're an academic or a staff member or anything in education I think you can't do it alone and you're right you shouldn't stress although now you've got me concerned that I should be stressing because I wasn't but I'll think about that later oh no don't stress <laughs> I, I appreciate it so much thank you for chatting with us and we hope to connect uh, once again Allie Black is at Allie Black on the Twitter also at the, her website dralieblack.com and thewomenwhowrite.com I'll put all the links and all the fun and amazing stuff that was shared with and from Allie um, on our show notes for all y'all to listen to and read and follow on afterwards so until we meet again ciao thanks Laura I look forward to it see ya bye